Good morning. It, uh, summer's over. <laughs> Man, I wore my, my Birkenstocks as like my little protest against the rain coming. So I'm pretty hardcore. Um, fall's here. School's begun, I think, for everyone at this point. Uh, uh, football's going. Uh, felt like I saw half our church at the football game Friday night at the high school. Um, we also, we're starting a new series today. Um, we're going to be in Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians is uh, one of the epistles. Uh, it's, a, it's a letter. Um, the, the epistles, in case you don't know, uh, the epistles actually make up most of the New Testament, minus uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts and Revelation. Uh, they're, they're letters. Many of the epistles have uh, a really similar form. Uh, the, uh, the writer introduces himself, mentions who the recipient is. There's a greeting, a prayer of thanksgiving, um, uh, the body of the letter, and then the farewell. Uh, they don't all fit that exact form, but, but most of them do. Uh, and it's a letter that's written to a group um, of specific people. Uh, for specific reasons, right? There's, uh, there's an occasion that is brought about this letter. This is to uh, first century people. We're 21st century people, so there's some challenges for us in, in coming uh, to these letters. Um, but just about every letter involved some kind of either doctrinal issue or uh, poor behavior in the church or, or misunderstandings, um, and, and the author is addressing those. Uh, so we get the solution or the answer to those. What we don't get is the problems. So it's, it's almost like Jeopardy, right? You're, you, you give them the answer and you've got to come up with the question. I think that's how Jeopardy works. I don't watch it. Um, but it, we're listening and as we're reading this, we're listening to the answers and trying to figure out, okay, so what, what was the, the issue? And sometimes it's easy to figure out and other times it's harder. Um, but the, the letter would be written to the church and then the letter would be read in front of the whole church. They, they would gather to hear this letter be read uh, over and over again. It would be passed around to different churches. Uh, so this letter to the Colossian church, this is Paul writing to a church that he did not plant, um, but his friend in ministry, his co-laborer Epaphras, um, he planted this church. He was the evangelist that brought the gospel uh, to the Colossians. So Paul's writing this letter from prison. He has uh, Timothy with him um, writing the letter, and this is to a church in the province of Asia. Um, for, for years, Paul uh, preached uh, in, in the hill of, I think it's pronounced uh, Tyrannus, um, and his ministry was so effective that um, Luke tells us in Acts 19.10, that all of Asia heard the gospel. Now, certainly that doesn't mean that all of Asia came in in this hall to hear, but, but through Paul's ministry, the gospel took off all over Asia. And Paul, um, he was not greedy in ministry. He, he was a confident, confident man. He was a humble man, and he shared the burden of ministry, the responsibility. So when someone would come to know Jesus, they, they would uh, be trained up. They would be raised up so that they could serve within the church. Um, it's possible that maybe Epaphras was, was one of the people that, that heard from Paul and maybe was even trained by Paul. We don't get the details of their relationship, but we do know that Paul has great respect 
for Epaphras, that he has great respect for his hard work for the gospel. And Epaphras, as I mentioned, was the one that planted this church with the Colossians. So Epaphras, it seems, has come to Paul in jail, and he tells Paul about this church. He tells them about the faith that they have. He tells them that the gospel has taken root in them, and they are growing. He tells Paul that they have an incredible love for brothers and sisters in Christ. He also shares concerning news um, and, and this is why Paul is writing the letter to him, uh, to, to them. Um, our truth statement for today, we'll get this up on the screen for you. I just realized our screens were out, but they're back up. Good. Um, our truth statement is just, we're, we're, if I were to boil down, like, what is the main point from this passage that I want you to walk away with today? That, that's what I'm hoping for. If you forget everything else but can hold on to this one uh, run-on sentence, that would be great. Um, let's pray for brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would grow spiritually in knowing God so that they walk in a manner worthy of him by his power. Right, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have the opportunity and the responsibility to pray for one another. And we, we should do that. Uh, we should pray that, that they would grow, that our brothers and sisters in Christ would grow spiritually, that they would grow in knowing God, and, and that that knowledge of who God is would impact how they walk, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord by his power. So let's jump in to verse 1 of Colossians. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in the church at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. There are whole sermons just preached on these two verses. I'm not going to do that today. There, there's just a little bit I want to point out here. One is he is writing to believers in Christ. And when he calls them faithful, he, he believes that. That's not, um, he, he's not trying to goad them into being more faithful. He believes they're faithful and he calls them brothers, people he has not met, people that do not share the same ethnicity as him, and yet he calls them a brother and it's because of the gospel. The gospel, the gospel doesn't fall for all the walls, the, the divisions that we have as humanity. The gospel breaks through social barriers, racial barriers, any barrier that we can imagine. The gospel is ready to bust through. And, and he calls them brothers in Christ. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So he takes what's normal in a letter in that time to give this, this greeting, and he, he kind of hijacks it for the gospel. He, he takes this verbiage and connects it to the gospel. These are gospel words. These remind them of the truth that Jesus saves. Paul writes grace and peace in his letters 13 times. This is what he does. And the implication is that grace and peace would be multiplied to believers. You never have too much grace. There is always more room for peace. And because of Jesus, we do have grace. We do have peace, like this Colossian church. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, a verse you may be familiar with. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Romans 5.1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also attained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So Paul always starts his letters with grace and peace from God. He also, he likes to end letters saying, grace be with you. So as the letter is read to the church, as God's word is read to the church, he expects that grace and peace will will, will be given to them even in just the hearing of the word. But as they end their time in the word, he's saying, grace be with you. As you go out, Christians, as you go out, church, the grace of God is to be with us. The grace of God is to be communicated through us. We talk about this from time to time, right? That that as recipients of God's grace, God never intended for his people to hoard that grace and that peace and that blessing and just keep it for themselves, but were to go out and, and be a conduit of that to the whole world that others might come to know the grace and the peace of God. Grace and peace are from the Father. And the thanksgiving that follows verse, uh, verse 2 here, uh, it's, it's because of what God has done and what he will continue to do. Verses 3 through 8. Um, this, is, this is thanksgiving. Uh, the focus is on the effects of the gospel in the Colossian church and really throughout the whole world. And throughout Colossians, um, Paul is reminding them of their identity, saying, remember who you are in Christ and remember what you have in Christ because of the work that has been done by him. So verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood it, the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known uh, to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul, it's striking to me that Paul has such fervent prayers for people that he has never met. Um, we, We pray... Uh, to the degree, uh, to to the degree of uh, what we believe in prayer. I said that really choppy. Um, uh, what you believe about prayer will impact how you pray. That's how I meant to say it. Uh, so if if you pray a lot, if you're praying about all kinds of things, you have a deep belief in prayer, in the power of prayer, in the effectiveness of prayer. You trust God that that he set it up this way, that he actually listens to our prayers and responds to our prayers. If you find yourself um, maybe thinking from time to time, I wish I prayed more, I should pray more, I need to pray more, my suspicion is your, your belief about what prayer is really doesn't match up with what the Word of God says. And it would be good for you to just do a word study on, on prayer and see what God has to say about prayer. But here's, here's Paul sitting in jail. He finds out about these brothers and sisters in Christ, and he prays. It says he prays without ceasing. He's always praying 
for them. He's praying for them regularly. He's thankful. He says he's thankful uh, for their faith in Jesus. Here's a group who heard the gospel and responded to the good news of the gospel from Epaphras. And I'm sure for Paul that that had to be so exhilarating. Because Paul would go out, he'd preach the gospel, and people would respond. But here's a group of people that didn't meet an apostle, and yet they responded to the gospel. The thing that Jesus said he would do, he was doing in the world. And I'm sure Paul was filled with joy. He, he remarks that their love for other Christians, right? That, that they, they don't just take this, this love of Jesus and, and continue it in themselves, but they love other Christians really, really well. And he connects both their faith and their love to the hope that they have in heaven. This is what motivates them. Their, their genuine and certain hope in heaven because of Christ. And then he connects what the gospel has done in them. He connects it to, with other Christians, right? That the gospel is going out all over the world, and that people are responding. The gospel is bearing fruit in people hearing the good news about Jesus and responding by repenting and trusting in him. And today, people are responding to the gospel. I've been encouraged uh, by several of you in the last month or so. It's just kind of come up in conversation, um, whether you've asked me to pray for someone you're sharing the gospel with, or, or I don't know, we were just talking about the gospel, and you've told me about a coworker, a neighbor, uh, a friend that, that you are, are trying to share the gospel with. Um, I read a story just a few weeks ago about this guy um, did not grow up in church at all. He, um, in his career, uh, I mean, he reached the top. He was uh, as successful as, as you could even dream of being in his career. He had tons of money. He had rich and powerful friends. He had influence in his industry. He would go on extravagant vacations uh, that none of us could afford. He would throw parties, and he would go to parties that were uh, just ridiculous. And at one of these parties, one night, he was going around like he had for years and years, trying to have fun. And he was just struck with, what am I doing? Like, what is the point of this? And he looked around at everyone, and he just thought, this is, this is absolute vanity. There has to be more to life than this. And a couple days later, he found himself at a coffee shop, and seated next to him was a group of college students that had their Bibles open. And they were going through some, some passage of Scripture together, and he asked them what they're doing, struck up a conversation, and then he just started asking them really pointed questions because he, he really didn't know much about, about Jesus. And, and he appreciated their answers, how honest and candid they were. And at the end of the conversation, they invited him. They said, hey, you should, you should come to our church Sunday. It'd be great to have you there. And he'd never been to a church before, but for some reason he thought, yeah, I'm going to go. And he goes that day, and he hears the gospel, and, and he gives his life to Jesus. And, and, and it, these people were in the right place at the right time and, and willing to share with him. I don't know if they shared the full gospel, but, but in that church service at least, they heard the gospel. I wonder, do you remember how good the good news was when you responded? Do you remember how incredible it was to hear that, that Jesus loves you, that he took your, your place on the cross that you could be forgiven? I remember. I remember that day. 
um, going in my freshman year of high school when, when all of a sudden the gospel made sense, when all of a sudden the cross made sense. And I grew up in church. And it's not like I went to a church that didn't preach the gospel. They, they, they taught it over and over and over again. I'd heard the gospel so many times. But for some reason on this day, what God was doing in my heart, I was ready. And, and I understood, like, like Paul says in verse 6, that they understood the grace of God in truth that they had learned from Epaphras. Verse 9 and following is, is insight into Paul's intercession here for the Colossians and, and his celebration of salvation accomplished by Christ. So verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. One writer put it this way, God's will is embodied in the person of Christ. And Paul wants the Colossians to know that Christ is the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan, of his redemptive purposes, that salvation is open to anyone who would respond in faith to Jesus. He wants them to understand how God intends for his people to live no matter what life is like. And we know that, that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit illuminates God's word to us. One person uh, wrote it this way. He said, spiritual wisdom and understanding shows us what matters in life from God's perspective. God grows our knowledge and understanding and wisdom to grow our faith and the living out of our faith. It was key for the Colossians to realize that Christ was sufficient, that he was absolutely supreme, that God's redemptive plan is in and through Christ, that they would not be confused by any other teaching that comes from, from any direction. The goal of this knowledge, uh, the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding he connects to verse 10 here. He's, it, the point is so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul connects here four traits in our spiritual lives uh, to, to this phrase of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Um, the first one is bearing fruit, that, that the believers would bear fruit. The second is that they would increase in their knowledge of God. He also prays that they'd be strengthened by his power, and he connects with that endurance and patience. And then lastly, that they would joyfully give thanks Christians are not always known for bearing fruit. They're not always known for putting into practice what they believe. There's a knock against Christians that they work so hard to read and know the Bible, and yet they don't know the God of their Bible. They don't live out lives that reflect a God of the Bible. Knowing and believing matters, and doing and living matters too. Neil Postman, an author, he wrote, uh, that television has habituated its, its watchers to a low information to action ratio. People are accustomed to learning good ideas, even at church, and then doing nothing about them. We were created for good works, according to Paul in Ephesians 2.10. 
Romans 7, 4, we're told that God raised Christ from the dead that we might bear fruit to God. Acts 26, 20, people are told to repent, turn to God, and do deeds in keeping with their repentance. Bearing fruit is a mark of a believer, right? Fruit producing happens because Jesus has changed us at the very core of who we are. Christians should bear fruit that reflects a, a loving, gracious God. I talk about my fruit trees. I have a lime tree. It has a couple limes on it. You do not understand how jacked I am for these limes to come to fruition someday. I'm super pumped. My uh, blueberry bushes, I've talked about those a lot. It's probably embarrassing, but um, they did awesome this year. I have a dozen of them. Eleven of them did great. One didn't do well. Uh, it, It looks healthy, but it produced almost no fruit. And someone might look at that blueberry bush and, and say, oh, that's, that's pretty. It's pleasing to the eye. And I do agree that the, the leaves, like in the fall particularly, it is uh, a beautiful plant, but I did not buy it to be beautiful. I bought it to give me lots and lots of blueberries. This bush is pretty worthless to me. Um, I'm paying to water it, and that doesn't make me happy. Uh, one test of our faith is do we bear fruit? We ought to, if we're Christ followers, we ought to bear fruit. Does the gospel change how we live? Does it change how we live amongst believers, brothers and sisters in Christ? Does it change how we live among people who do not know Christ? So Paul prays that they would bear fruit. He prays that they would increase in their knowledge of God. Our knowledge increases um, as we grow beyond some of the basics uh, when we first come to faith, some of the the rudimentary things that we first come. If if you stay there forever as a Christian, something's wrong, right? Uh, I have a preschooler, uh, and she uh, last week she brought home a paper uh, from preschool, and she wrote her name on it. We've been working on that. When I see that, you better believe I gush over it. I'm like, Maddie, you did such a good job writing your name. The letters are all in order. It looks so good. At some point, I'm not going to gush over that, right? Like in second, third grade, I don't know when, but at some point when she brings home a paper and it says her name, it's going to be old hat to me, right? When, when I write an email and sign my name off, no one ever says, Greg, you spilled your name right. Well done. No, that would be ridiculous. And yet, so many Christians come to know Jesus, and then it's like they just stall out. Like, like they don't learn any more about God. God expects that we would grow in knowing him, and this knowledge is transformative. Paul wants knowledge of God to equal to a person growing so that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Jesus, uh, in, in Luke 6, 46, he expects that knowing him will also lead to obedience. He says this, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. Someone wrote this this week, and I think it's spot on. They said that spiritual crisis comes from what we don't truly know about God. 
And I just thought, man, that's so right. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to belittle life circumstances at, at all. I'm just looking at my own life and going, yeah. Every time I've had a, a crisis of my faith, it's because I, 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 didn't, I didn't really know how awesome God was. I, I didn't know how, how holy God is. I didn't understand his love. I, I, didn't, I didn't really get that he's unchangeable. You can fill in with whatever characteristic. When, when, we, when, we know and, when we grow and know these things about God, it stabilizes our faith. Now, a crisis of faith is also an incredible opportunity to grow if we'll press in to God, if, if we'll trust him and let him grow us. So Paul prays that, that their knowledge of God would be increased so that they're changed, radically changed from the inside out. He also prays that they would be strengthened, and this is a divine power. This isn't power that we can muster up, right? This is the same power that, that raised Jesus from the dead in us. This is a, a power that's so powerful that we can live a life, it says, fully pleasing to him, which it seems like a crazy statement. It's a power that he talks about endurance and patience with it. I, I read um, someone connected a, a story um, about, about this power to endure from God. Uh, 1961, there were four six-year-old girls in New Orleans that were, they were chosen to be the ones who would initiate desegregation in their school. So every day, they're escorted by the police, and there's, there's a mob of people lined up on either side shouting, adults, right, adults shouting horrible obscenities to these sweet little girls, yelling even, even death threats, and little Tessie, um, one day she'd had it, she told uh, Grandma she wasn't going to school that day. She was done putting up with that, but Grandma gave her um, an, an incredible pep talk. She said, you see my child, you have to help the Lord with his world. He put us here and calls us to help him out. She said, I pray for those people shouting their heads off at you. I pray for them, those poor, poor people. You're one of the Lord's people. He has put his hand on you. He has given you a call, a call to service in his name. We're the lucky ones to be called to prove what the Lord wants, to prove we're up for it. I might be reading a little bit into Grandma's words here, um, but, but I think she's talking about the, the ability to prove there was, was powered by God, giving her, giving her the, the ability to endure. God strengthens us not only to serve brothers and sisters in Christ, though that is true, but he strengthens us even, even with those who are against us with the hope that, God, that there'd be a return on God's grace. Well, Grandma's words sunk in for Tessie. I love what she said as she came to see herself as a, as a servant of God, as, as, as God's ally in this. She said, if I can help the good Lord and do a good job, then it will all be okay, and then I won't be wasting my time. Plenty of people endure really, really hard things. But if we're not enduring for the Lord, it, it, is, it is a waste. We're told to, to endure with patience, and we know patience in circumstances. We, we need that. I'm sure you pray for that. You ask the Lord for that. We also need patience with other people, right? If you've been a part of a church for even a short amount of time, you realize that we're, we're all people broken. We're on this side of heaven. We, we struggle 
Sometimes we hurt each other unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. Paul, he wants them to have patience. Patience towards others refuses to let hurts turn into bitterness or, or refuses to fight back, strike back. Patience decides to stick it out rather than to move on to what appears to be greener pastures. Um, maybe you're here uh, today and, and you left another church uh, because something happened. Um, I wonder if, if you if there's anything remaining there that needs to be done on your end, if there's maybe one more conversation, and I'm not saying you have to go back to that church and be a part of that church, I'm not trying to kick you out of here, but, but I am saying uh, it, it is beautiful when Christians reconcile, right? We, we, we're pointing to the God of reconciliation when we do that. So if you, if you have a brother or sister in Christ or, or something that happened in an old church, I'd encourage you to pray about that and ask the Lord, is there anything that, that you need to do about that? Last thing, last trait, is that we would joyfully give thanks. G.K. Chesterton said, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you will take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Paul commands thanksgiving, which tells us that, that we have some power to choose here. Right? This, is, this isn't like an emotion that, that, that we don't have a whole ton of power with, but we have power to choose here. This is a discipline that, that can be developed and grown. Um, complaining is easy, right? Like, if I asked you, what could you complain about today? You'd have it like that. When I walked in the building today, uh, first person asked me, how am I doing? I said, oh, I didn't sleep well. I had this crazy dream, and it kept me up all night. And, and then, like, five minutes later, I realized, like, yeah, that's true, but I also feel really good. Like, I, uh, for not sleeping very well, I actually feel pretty great. Like, we are so quick to complain. How difficult do you find it to be grateful for what God has blessed you with? A thankful heart is one that is dependent on God, the giver of good and perfect gifts. Our joyful thanksgiving is rooted in Christ, in his completed work on the cross, and as Paul tells us, he's qualified us to, to the inheritance with the saints in light, an inheritance that we had no right to. Verse 13, he goes on. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's delivered believers from this, this dark domain into the kingdom of his own son. Uh, commentator David Garland describes this as a reverse exile, as, as Jesus has taken us out of this horrible, oppressive kingdom and brought us into this kingdom, this domain that is not full of darkness. It's full of light because of Jesus. It's filled with the love of God the Father because he loves his son. And for all who are in Jesus, his son, they're the objects of the Father's love as well. Christ is redeemed you if you've trusted in him. He's forgiven your sin. He's torn down the barrier that sin was in your life. He's taken care of sin so that we are able to live lives worthy of the Lord. He's liberated us, not just from our past, but even our present and our future. Later in chapter 3, Paul's going to remind them uh, of sin, uh, their sin that they were so into, and that the, the effect, what, what happened w w was just wrath. That's what they had coming their way, but now they're to live for Christ, which gives them joy. 
If you know Christ, there is much to be thankful for. He's redeemed you. He's brought you into his kingdom. And these are the traits that, that Paul is praying for the Colossian church. So I, I just want to think about some takeaways from Paul's prayer for them and, and some observations that I have. It's remarkable to me the circumstances that Paul is in. He's in prison for sharing the gospel, and yet he hears about believers, and he's filled with joy for them, and he just wants to pray for them. I mean, he wants to be with them, but, but he wants to pray for them, and he, he wants to write this letter to encourage them and help them grow. I wonder, when you find yourself in hard circumstances in life, when I find myself in hard circumstances, and I see a brother or sister in Christ, am I filled with joy for what they have in Jesus? Am I eager to pray for their health in Christ, for their growth in Christ. Paul prayed regularly. He was really disciplined in his prayer. I don't know if, if you would consider yourself as being disciplined or not in, in, in prayer. If not, I think there's some, some, uh, some steps that you can take. The first one I would recommend is find a partner to pray with. And, and figure out when you can do that, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody at school, maybe it's at work, family member, friend, but set a time that you're going to get together and pray. It, it gives some accountability, but there's also something so great when we pray with one another, how it unifies us. So I, I'd encourage you to find a prayer partner. Um, we, we have our prayer group this next Sunday, 845, in the nursery. Udit uh, has faithfully led that group Come next Sunday. We don't have it every Sunday, but we'll tell you when it's happening. Come next Sunday and, and pray for uh, this church. I'm sure there's a ton of great prayer apps out there. I only use uh, one. Uh, it's called the Prayer Mate app. Um, if you look on the, the app store, you'll find it, Prayer Mate. Um, and it just helps me be really organized in, in the things I pray for. And don't get me wrong, there's all kinds of times through my day that I just have spontaneous prayers. I think about something, someone comes to mind, and I, I just pray for them. But this app helps me. For one, it, it reminds me every day, hey, pray for this list that you said you want to pray for. And it rotates things through my list. It gives them to me in, in, uh, in bite-sized chunks. So I'd encourage you, find ways to grow in the discipline of prayer. Um, Paul, I think, probably prayed differently than a lot of us. Uh, I find myself so often praying for earthly items, which there's nothing wrong with that, right? Praying for people's physical health or a lost job or whatever it may be. But Paul didn't just pray for those things. And what we see here is he prays along spiritual lines, right? He prays things like that they'll walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him, strengthened with power from God, that they grow in knowledge, that they'd bear fruit, that they'd be filled with joyful thanksgiving. Um, as a church, I think we do a good job when a need arises praying for it. We have a prayer chain. Um, people email Bonnie. Bonnie shoots out an email to everyone on that prayer chain, and we do a good job of praying for needs and emergencies. Um, but we would be a healthier church if we would grow in praying regularly for each other. Um, and that's what jumped off the page to me, is just how Paul prays. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the term, uh, maybe because of your car or your house, preventative maintenance, 
right? That's Paul prays preventative maintenance here. He, he prays things that will always be good for them, not just good in crisis, but will actually even prepare them for a crisis. How good for us to pray that way for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And towards the end of the service, we're actually going to get to pray through uh, verses 10 through 12 together. But let, let me pray now for us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Um, we thank you that, that you died to save us from sin, Lord. And I pray that we would want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you would give us the power to live a life fully pleasing to you, that we would bear fruit, that we would grow in our knowledge of you, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us endurance and patience, God, that we would be a, a people that are filled with joy, Lord, that, that we would continuously speak words of thanksgiving because you have so blessed us, Jesus. Lord, we love you, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen.